0: to Emerald Publishing's podcast series on the future of work. My name is Neil Kennedy, I'm Senior Publisher for Business and Management at Emerald. Today we're exploring the role of the worker in the future of work uh, and we're joined by four experts in differing areas of work and employment to discuss current issues and potential new developments in this field. Elias Levanos is an expert at the Department for Skills and the Labour Market at the European Centre for the Development of Vocational Education and Guidance, and is the author of *The Rise of Precarious Employment in Europe*. Arna Kalberg is keen and distinguished professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and also the chair of the curriculum in global studies. He's the author of numerous books on non-standard work arrangements and most recently Precarious Lives, Job Insecurity and Wellbeing in Rich Democracies and Precarious Work, Causes, Characteristics and Consequences. Karen Jo Madsen is a specialist in organizational culture, principal at Co, Design of Work Experience, founder of a new HR and author of the book Culture Your Culture. And finally, Julia Ivy is Executive Professor at Northeastern University and Program Director for the Masters of Science in International Management and author of the book, Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market. Thank you all for joining us today. I'll move on to questions on this theme. I'll address the questions uh, directly. For the future of work, what is your view around um, whether we will see the traditional concepts of work continuing to break down through gig work and remote working or do you feel there may be a retreat to more traditional and secure ways of working in the future? Maybe I can address that to um, Ilias.
1: Okay so I believe that um, at the moment we are facing a pandemic which will inevitably have some impacts on the forms of work so what we have seen so far is that there is a, uh, a rise of uh, the so-called precarious work, which uh, could be uh, framed as flexible forms sort of, of work, depending on, on whom you ask. And um, we have also seen that uh, automation is really changing uh, everything here. So I believe that at the, at the stage that we are, uh, on the one hand, automation is being accelerated because it is used by uh, companies to... Uh, to stay safe and cut down costs and at the same time, um, given the fact that um, telework is becoming, uh, is moving away from being a suspicious form of work, as it was at least in Europe and maybe in some more traditional countries like Greece, is becoming the norm and is totally accepted. Um, I believe that all these trends they will actually be uh, strengthened, and uh, we will probably not go back to the traditional forms of work. But uh, we would never know what
0: the future holds. But this is where I think it is going to. Thank you, Arna. I wanted you to um, get your view on that as well, please.
2: Yeah. So you know, I, I agree with Ilyas on this. Uh, I do. I do not see a return to the. 30, 40 years after World War II, which fed the standard employment relationship. In my view, the key characteristic, though, is that social protections were tied to this basic employment relationship in many countries, health insurance, uh, unemployment insurance, and so on. And the rise of gig work and non-standard work uh, has made it so that People are no longer protected in that way. So I can see a variety of ways in which work is going to uh, evolve in the future in terms of work arrangements. I could see uh, temporary work, which is a perfectly fine kind of work. Uh, Gig work works for a lot of people. All these things are good as long as people do not lose their basic social protections when they do that kind of work. And to me, that's the key feature that we have to be looking at in the future.
0: Thank you very much. Karen, I'd be interested to hear um, if we feel that um, in the future, some workers are going to need to be more adaptable or flexible in their roles. From an organizational culture point of view, how how do you feel that will affect the structure of teams or, or departments?
3: I believe that the adjustments will need to be made on both sides, so from a worker perspective as well as the employer side of things. Distributed teams are of course now uh, far more common in light of this pandemic. Um, There are companies that have always been distributed. Um, I think part of it is establishing the way of work that supports um, all forms of collaboration, whether it's in person or whether or not it's virtual. So I feel like at the end of the day, we have to be intentional about the cultures. And what's been frustrating to me is people are acknowledging the impact on company culture, but what they're not doing is something about it, right? Being more intentional about the culture. And it goes beyond team building. It goes beyond having virtual happy hours to remain connected. It goes uh, toward the basics. How does the company's core values get expressed in the work experience, uh, regardless of the environment? When when I mean by environment, I'm talking about the form of work, whether it's in person or not. So I, I feel like we're halfway there. The knowing is half the battle, but the piece that needs to happen is this intentional even more so now than before intentional designing implementation sustainability of an intended culture.
0: Thanks Karen yeah Julia you've written on employability and uh, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on you know how workers can help themselves succeed through their employability in the future of work and also on, on that last point as well around um, team structure and department structure. Yes
4: Thank you so much. And one more point: I first of all, I do agree with previous speakers. There is no way back. We all, we will move mm. forward. And one more dimension of this uh, new equation is millennials, and these are a future. The current 50% of workforce are millennials, and by 2024, by my referring to McKinsey, it will be 75%. And millennials have very distinct characteristics of who they are. And their multidimensional profile is how I define them, make it different than Generation X and Baby Boomers. Also, they are very much uh, proactive in establishing their own territory, kind of their own space, and they are not willing to uh, fit somebody given you know, space. And the last one, if they don't see diversity and uh, in the company and if they don't have a chance to be, you know, to show design thinking, to shape their space, to be them, 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 me, 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 yeah. they just leave. They just uh, leave the company. And that's why we call them job hoppers. So that's why the future of work is you know, to accept that they are different than uh, majority of current employers because majority of current employers are Generation X and baby boomers. And if we, as employers, will keep giving them job descriptions, will keep giving them uh, boundaries, will give them like one-dimensional jobs, uh, they will leave. They will leave physically, leave the company, or or they... We call this internal immigration. They will stay but withdraw. So that's why we move into your second question is what employers can do. I call these methods like make your case to shape your space. We must, first of all, accept that they are multidimensional. We must welcome this. Like example, like I, I work with David. He is a professional in business and he works for an insurance company as um, insurance investigation in finance, which is his identity number one. In his garage with his wife, they're devoted brewers. They make beer and they do it very well. And they compete even in the local brewers festivals and they win sometimes. But he also in Thai boxing. And he also is very serious about this and he also competes. The question is, who is David? Mm-hmm. Who is David? It's first. And if we, as employers, consider David only in one dimension, we are losing. We are losing other parts of David. But if we learn to invite other parts, as uh, not like do boxing in my office, but the skills he learned in this, right, in uh, in other industries, and maybe not maybe, but invite him to shape his own space in the company where he can flourish in all these dimensions and find the intersections this is i think will define successful employers where millennials would stay and would be engaged and i call millennials like a nuclear energy if it stays you know dormant we just use, we, we just lose the energy of them and we, we don't have resource of them. But if we let them explore, but in a peaceful way, this has become a huge for the company's success. Mm-hmm. This is what uh, I think step number one for employers to accept that millennials are here, they are 50 percent, they will be 75 soon, and they are different. And so far, we don't like them, unfortunately. I found data that uh, COVID nineteen people have twenty-two percent anger. Twenty-two percent of population who you know survey emotions anger twenty-two percent. About millennials, sixty-six percent. We just like we more angry angry on millennials than on COVID sometimes. We are scared of COVID. Yeah, we are upset, we are scared, it's fear, it's disgust, but anger. So this is what I think is a big challenge for employers and huge, huge, huge
0: opportunity for employers. Thank you, you Julia. It's really interesting, especially that sort of concept of fragmentation. Arna, I'd be I'd be keen to hear your thoughts around. You know, the fragmentation of a kind of worker identity and Ilyas, um mentioned uh, automation. I mean, maybe around like the autonomy that the worker will have for themselves in the future.
2: Well, I think one of the characteristics that's going to uh, define work going forward, and we already see it now, is there is a polarisation. Of of work. And we can't really just talk about work. We have to talk about types of work. Now, I think uh, there's been a lot of research now that suggests that there are certain kinds of jobs that will be able to be automated. Uh, but there are certain kinds of jobs that are not able to be automated. And these can be both high-skilled jobs and relatively low-skilled jobs. For example, moving a piano up uh, three flights of stairs is not uh, something that's easily automated. So there's a variety of, of, of tasks out there. And so some jobs will be automated and some will not. And so workers, uh, to the extent that they want autonomy, and autonomy is one of the key characteristics that people want from their work, and it's had enormous impacts on on psychological functioning and so on. The way they could do that is by uh, obtaining skills that are, lo- are less likely to be automated. And so as a result, employers will give them uh, more autonomy and so on. So I think that is going to be a key and that requires people to have a certain skill set. And this emphasizes, of course, the importance of education and the acquisition of skills.
0: Absolutely, thank you, Elias. Following on from that, I, I think we you touched on automation um, and and the impact that you feel that may have for the role of workers in the future. I'd love to you talk a little bit more um, on that, and I'd also be interested to get your thoughts around the maintenance of workers' rights in the future of work, how that is going to be done, whether there's still a role for trade unions, and the ways in which they can still be active in the workplace.
1: Okay, so on the one hand, automation is seen as a threat to employment and particularly to those with medium level skills. Not necessarily only those, but uh, maybe to the, to the larger majority than, than other group of, of workers. As uh, you know, machines are brought in, some jobs will inevitably be lost. And at the same time, digital skills will be essential and all the workers will have to adopt to the new needs, even those of a lower level of skills. But uh, on the other hand, uh, new jobs will be created to support the new technologies. That means that there will be job uh, creation, of course, and uh, automation will also free up time for uh, individuals to focus on more challenging tasks that uh, will be taken over by uh, technology. So to a certain extent, automation is freeing up time and is mainly um, is, is, is mainly focusing on uh, routine tasks, if you like. For example, if you think about it, face recognition is a breakthrough that is brought up by, uh, by the technolo- by technology, and it is, it is really amazing what what can do in, in a few seconds. But that means that people will have uh, more time to stop looking at faces, trying to uh, focus on identified patterns and they can do more meaningful things. But at the same time, we have to note that work is becoming more and more complex as technology makes possible to perform many tasks at very little time. So that means we have more time to do more work. And if we think about it, the tasks that my uh, PhD supervisor 40 years ago could do in a week, he's able to do it now in about an hour. So yeah. that's it's it's really a, a great supporter of work technology, but at the same time it is creating uh, a lot of stress to all of us and if you think about all of us having a smartphone, that means that we're reachable at uh, any point of the day and we feel obliged to respond. So. Uh, it is quite complex what is going on there. And getting to your second question about the trade unions, I mean, it's it's not a secret that uh, trade unions have been um, weakened, have they're losing their power, and this has been a trend uh, taking place for decades now. And it it does not look as if this trend is going to to stop there. So I think it is now. Up to trade unions to to really find the responses to that, and if we also consider the fact that we have uh, gig workers like platform workers, which is an emerging uh, set of uh, workers, even though it is not uh, it does not have a big share in total employment, but it's increasing uh, with a very fast pace, it will be it will be way more difficult to to secure the rights of these uh, these workers. But uh, I think it is the responsibility of uh, more or less everybody, including the employers themselves, to uh, to secure decent work for everybody.
0: Thank you, Elias. Arnie, I wanted to bring you in on that as well, particularly that if the trade union role is uh, yeah. reducing, then are, are there potential new ways of organizing that might, may come out in the future of work?
2: That's a great point. Uh, one of the reasons, um uh, probably the major reason, uh, in my view, for the growth of precarious work has been the shift in the balance of power toward employers away from labor. And that's really shifted the, uh, the risks to, to workers. And so in order to rebalance the situation, there needs to be a growth of worker power. Now, trade unions have traditionally been the major source of worker power, but the trade union movement was dependent on certain things, such as It it was facilitated by the fact that there were a lot of people working in one place, which enabled them to be organized. And given the shift to a service economy, which is what we have now, given the shift to to, to online work and the platforms and so on, we no longer have that. Uh, Yes, millennials do job hop. um, And so it's difficult to uh, organize workers on that basis. So it seems to me we have to be thinking about New ways of organizing workers, uh, we need to continue to work with the trade unions, but also um, skill uh, or uh, occupational communities, occupational based uh, organizations, uh, such as the craft union model in Germany would be uh, very helpful. Organizations that uh, take independent contractors and gig workers and provide them with things like information on how to uh obtain various things to put pressure on on employers to act in certain ways to, uh, to provide insurance packages that can be negotiated on a large scale, tying Worker power to consumer power, I think is critical as well. And so there are a number of different models that we have to think about, and not just depend on the on the union movement, because that's one key factor, but it's only one and the kinds of things that led to the growth of unions in the United States and other countries in the 30s, for example, the industrial union model is really not uh, the, the future of work. It's much more of a craft skill based model, it seems to me.
0: Thank you, Arnie. Karen, I'd like to hear from you around the culture of an organization and what can be done through an organization's culture and the way it is built or created or transformed to actually help empower the the people that work there and benefit the people that work there and help protect the people that work there. Do you have a view on that?
3: I do. Uh, Let me back that up by saying um, that there's a growing body of work that speaks to how important equity is to a prosperous future of work Um, and that's obviously very much tied to company culture and it's equity beyond uh, one or two dimensions but in fact all dimensions Uh, earlier julia was talking about the anger piece i mean that anger piece comes with maybe feeling inequitable having some form of inequity right or or lack of Um, Now, we've also brought up this concept of power. Um, So, I think the cultural implications of that are at least twofold, if not more. One is this empowerment of employees. And um, and it's not necessarily just granted by their employers. It's also uh, one that should be and has been demanded by employees that are holding their employers to task. And we've seen that um, in recent years with employee walkouts. We've also seen public letters written to their employers about what they're what they are demanding to see in terms of their accountability as a company. Um, also calling them out on their public statements, right? So if a company states that Black Lives Matter and they have a toxic work environment, that's incongruous between what they say and what they do. So if the future of work, the key to the future of work that is desirable to all of us is equity, then there needs to be intentional, and to my earlier point, intentional moves toward redistributing that power that we were just talking about before, uh, because it's a win-win for everybody. Um, There's a lot of research that says more equitable companies are more profitable, are, are higher growth. And so there's a growing, like I said, a growing body of evidence that speaks to the value. And so equity and culture are very much tied together. Having that laid out also increases. So redistributing, um, Power and having more equity uh, gives people more choice. And I think fundamentally the future of work that is more prosperous for everyone is about um, giving people choice.
0: Julia, thank you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, particularly around that power dynamic.
3: Thank you.
4: And uh, I absolutely echo the previous speaker that uh, this power dynamic between millennials and uh, and any multidimensional professionals because these people know that, first of all, we are good. Like, I'm one of them and you are one of them. You, you know that you know more than in your job description. You know this and you do have your own core, your own uh, personal strategy. So, uh, what organizations have to change in culture is a culture of synchronization of their organizational strategy and personal strategy of their employees. Traditionally, it was hierarchy of uh, goals and strategies. It was corporate strategy, you know, like business strategy. And we still teach like this: corporate business. Than functional strategies, and of course, employees were kind of like in the level of implementation of all the strategies. Not anymore, because millennials, first of all, believe that they are kind of equal to CEO already. They also know that they know what the organization can do, and honestly, they do. They sometimes do, because they think differently. So, new culture should be like constant synchronization, which I believe have three rules. The first is, it should be a pace. First of all, it's dynamic. It's not static. It's not like we define the goals and that's it. And people are resources. We call this human resource for implementation of this big, big strategy. Millennials are not resource anymore. And they don't want to be resource. Uh, They consider the company actually as a resource for their strategy. So this is upside down approach. Have first a pace, like... Step number one, step number two, step number three, step number four, which build around specific problems that the companies share that have to be solved. And uh, people who work jump in and offer their own solutions in a kind of almost brown movement. And this helps people, again, shape their own space and realize their own personal strategies. So this is a major shift for organizations, major shift, which... I, so far, we don't see so much, but right now we start, uh, we are planning to start a project with the city of Boston, where the companies used to be very uh, nuclear, especially ethnic restaurants. They were fine. They had their loyal customer base, and when the economy was good, everything was good. And they were not very much interested in other groups of people, you know, like beyond their Customer base. Now, when the situation is so bad for restaurants, they kind of have to be more open to other ideas. And first, people who they have to ask for other ideas, maybe beyond the restaurant industry, maybe some kind of bring idea of IT to the industry. And maybe somebody who is working right now in this restaurant because he's a student in Northeastern or in a Boston University, etc. And he might have these ideas and just ask him to bring your some other ideas to this restaurant and shape your space here. So you see, restaurant, instead of treating this employee who might be working in the kitchen as a resource, to treat this with synchronizing what your personal strategy, what you want to do in life with the success of my organization.
0: I'd like to just follow up with you, um, Julia, on a slightly tangential point and that relates to globalization and um, in the future of work, whether we perceive that that might continue apace pace, um, as it has done uh, for many years, or if things could become more localized in terms of the view of uh, companies, in terms of workers actually physically traveling for work. I'd be interested to hear your view and I'll open it up to the rest of the panel.
4: And actually, it's what we do with our projects, with our methods. We allow our graduates to choose whatever organization they want to target, maybe to shape their space in. Mm -hmm. And this organization can be anywhere. So right now, the students who are in the United States shaping their spaces in the companies in China, in the companies in India. So all this technology really makes them the competition in the workforce become not so much local for high level, for problem-solving jobs, but global, which it doesn't have to be uh, physically global. But I agree with previous speakers that there are several types of jobs. Some jobs would never become global, like piano on the third floor. It's gets to be local, but problem-solving, design thinking, Digital technology, it's all very much.
0: So I'll bring in Elias, if I may, um, on that question of globalization versus localization. I think that the situation here is less
1: clear-cut. On the one hand, with the revolution that platforms such as Zoom and Teams and so on they have brought, they make it possible for workers to stay home and reduce traveling, uh, even for going to work, not to say for business trips and, uh, and so on. So that means that they can have more meetings globally. So on that end, uh, globalization is actually uh, intensified. And at the same time, we have online shopping that is becoming dominant. So it is actually possible to order anything from anywhere in the world. Now, on the other hand, we have less travel. So some sectors such as transport, retail, restaurants will inevitably be hurt significantly. But some local economies will be strengthened. So I think here we have two sides of the coin, of the same coin, of course, and it is really not possible to determine the overall outcome. And I would like to put forth an example here of an occupation, like a profession that we would think is very local, but actually uh, the pandemic, it is proving uh, otherwise. If we think about art workers, and if I may use the, uh, the example of magicians, which are uh, some art workers that are not only performing in large or small theaters like uh, the other art workers, but they also do table hopping in weddings, bars and restaurants. So what they would actually do, they would go and they would intrude the, um, the private space of people and their profession will entail a lot of touching and a lot of speaking from close proximity and so on. But now with, uh, with the pandemic, many of them, they have involved and they're offering uh, Zoom shows and they do online teaching. So in some sense, they're becoming global and they have managed to go from almost completely non-digital to fully digitalized. Whereas at the same time, some others of the same profession, they're just waiting for the pandemic to end. So they start again their operation. So, again, I would just uh, say again that it it is really difficult to determine what would be the overall outcome of all this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating example, Elias. Arno, what is your uh, take around that globalization, localization dichotomy that could go on for the future?
2: Yeah. And as Ilya says, this is, uh, this is a complicated situation and it's not easy to predict what's going to happen. I think, uh, as was mentioned, one of the, I think the long-term impacts of, of COVID, of the, of the pandemic is that we're going to do more, uh, meetings like this, uh, yeah. you know, uh, zooms and, and Microsoft Teams and Google chats and so on. So I think people are realizing that we don't have to go travel to go someplace in order to meet somebody. It's much more efficient not to. Ah, uh, globalization in terms of the movement of capital, in terms of uh, in terms of the movement of products, I think is probably uh, going to be with us. But I think one of the trends that I see uh, happening that's going to have an impact is the. The the rise of nationalism here and the and the restriction of borders. You see it in England uh, with moving out of the EU. Uh, we see it in the United States with uh, this America First policy. Uh, uh, so and the, the building of tariff barriers and so on. It seems to me that uh, there is a, a counter movement toward globalization. And while outsourcing dominated much of the thinking of managers in the eighties and the nineties, uh, moving. Toward cheaper places to produce um, goods, for example, uh, now I I of see more insourcing and actually some of the returning of these uh, outsourced things back into the uh, to the country in order to become more self sufficient and that's sort of a counter trend uh, to this uh, to this whole thing. So I think there are two uh, counter trends here, which makes it difficult. Globalization obviously is always going to be the case, but. Uh, The shape it takes is going to change.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and Karen, maybe you could also speak to this um, in terms of organizations and their approach from a, a globalized economy perspective, a local one, and are there ways in which they should be thinking about the culture that they foster when it comes to these issues?
3: I just wanted to take a second to respond to some of the things that were just said around globalization versus localization. Uh, But let me just um, follow up with what Arnie was saying, this move toward nationalism. My perspective happens to believe that nationalism is counterproductive because um, even speaking for my own country, uh, we have gaps that that we can't fill immediately. And when we need that, we need to, be ha- we need to have it filled from elsewhere. Um, the globalization piece obviously is a complex challenge. I think some of the things that companies need to think about is that there's a, this concept of if workers are coming from anywhere and everywhere, what does that mean for compensation? for example. So this whole concept of globally fair compensation is something uh, that's come to the dialogue now. Um, The other piece I've learned from the real estate industry as they start to consider the implications of, of real estate as it relates to work is that this aspect of migration, that's a huge part of Future of Work, but rarely gets the attention is, and this this migration as it relates to workers of all different persuasions, so low, medium and high skilled workers, there are migration patterns that influence the future of work. And so as a result of that. Real estate as an industry has to figure out, well, what does that mean for us? Where should we invest as a result of that? And, and the answer, one, one perspective that I've seen is you have to follow the people. So uh, we, we talk about the adjustments that workers have to make. There's a lot of, and I'm reemphasizing this, there's also uh, this give and take here where I think um, forward-looking organizations need to consider what employers need to do and prepare for ahead of time so that they can react and collaborate as opposed to fight what's happening, uh, going on. So there are, of course, cultural implications to all of this, uh, where if we are more global, if we become more global, or even if we become more, say we swing in either direction, if we become more nationalistic or localized, as opposed to global, the importance of core values in a particular organization And the implementation of those values in culture and employee experience are going to determine whether or not they have the top talent that they need to perform the innovation and the productivity and the work required to be a successful business.
0: Thank you. Well, we've already touched on um, some aspects of uh, the final question I was hoping to ask, which is a big one, talking about our use of Zoom um, and other technologies and whether things are going to become more localised. But I'd be really keen, um, and I think that we have to reflect on uh, the current pandemic and what we can see that doing to the future role of the worker. I realise it's a bit of a Crystal ball gazing question, but it's obviously having a huge industrial and economic impact at the moment. And I'd be really interested to get the thoughts of you all on the ways in which it could shake out in terms of organization, in terms of um, industrial relations, in terms of movement of workers, all those pieces. So, Arnie, maybe I can come to you first on this issue.
2: Okay, well we've We've touched on some of these things, uh, uh, which is that uh, we're going to be doing more virtual meetings and so sure. on. And obviously, there are there are some short-term impacts and long-term impacts. I think the short-term impacts are are reflected in the uh, travel industry. Uh, but people will go to restaurants again. They're doing it now. They'll they'll fly again. They'll even be able to go from the U.S. to the EU again uh, someday. So that's going to that's I think is going to shake itself out. What I find interesting is that workers who are now deemed essential are often the the lowest paid, most put upon people in the world. I mean, the grocery clerks, the janitors, uh, the people that are basically the, the, the care workers, the people who take care of people in nursing homes and so on. These workers are very low paid. And so it seems to me that this is going to be one of the things that's going to stay with us. Now, two years from now, are we going to remember that we needed these workers now? Are we going to pay them a living wage? We need to do that. I think a second thing is going to be a call for more protections for workers that are not related to the kind of work they do. And so the idea that you have to work for a large company in the United States, for example, to get good health insurance and so on, I think that is going to be a demand because we see with the the unemployment rate being so high, you know, people need these benefits that are not tied to the workplace. And finally, I think another long term impact is going to be this is an opportunity, it seems to me, for uh, the power to shift back to labor and the idea that 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 employers really need to take into account people's interests and their needs and so on in order to be successful. So I think while the pandemic is a terrible thing and many people have suffered, I think there can be some positive benefits from this uh, in the future.
0: Thank you, Arnie. Julia, y- your thoughts on uh, the, the pandemic and, and what it's going to mean in the future for the worker. Uh,
4: thank you. Um, while pandemic is a horrible, horrible, horrible uh, tragedy, what happens to people, families and economies, I, I agree that it's also a huge opportunity for people to raise their voice. And I think it would be, a rare shift in the power of workforce, not in the way like, oh people must have more voice and employers must listen to them, etc. Right now I told you I finished my presentation of a CEO club when they have to fire somebody, but they want to keep people who want to take ownership for something maybe what goes beyond their job. And this gig economy, I think will become a nature of a large corporations as well. So even working for the company, I think we will become more and more geeky, I would say, and more and more uh, ad hoc structures and very much project-oriented. Uh, and it will be very wonderful opportunity for some people and end of uh, safe net for others, which I believe is kind of fine. We have to rely on our talents and find our talents and be there for our talents. Yeah, and we have them. We have them.
0: Interesting. Thank you. Karen, your your perspective on, on the pandemic and, and what it's going to mean for the worker in the future.
3: Yeah, um, I think there's uh, obviously a clear impact in what this pandemic has done. What we've seen is, again, conversations where people now believe that the future of work is here. I'm sure you've read the headlines. The future of work is here all overnight because of what happened <laughs> with the pandemic. I don't necessarily believe that holistic future of here has, has happened. It's changed in some respects, but what it has done is created, our present has become uh, the past future of work. And now, now we need to think about the new future of work. Our starting point is different because of this pandemic. And what I believe has been the biggest challenge around the future of work is the lack of an integrated strategy. There's people looking at the future of work from all different perspectives and angles. There's nothing that's brought together all of this to be able to have an integrated uh, approach, which we are affecting and intentionally shaping a culture. And that's really why we are in this field, right? Because we want to be able to To positively influence the future of work. That can't be done in small groups. That that needs to be done in whole communities. And I think that's what we need to take away. This pandemic has been a great equal, well, I, I don't think it's an equalizer because there's a lot of inequities that have been uncovered as a result of this. But this is a problem that everyone around the world has to deal with. And I think uh, the future of work is something that everyone globally has a hand in. And so I think that's the biggest need that's raised up as it relates to the future of work and the pandemic and what it's done to us. So if we want this more equitable future um, and more more choice filled future where basic needs are met, um, it's going to need more organized strategy around it. So that's that's my belief. So yes, I have the culture angle. Um, But there's all these other angles in which we need to make sure, right, that we didn't talk a lot about governmental and legislative bodies of work. That has an influence as well. Um, We didn't talk about uh, gender, you know, what are the implications on parenthood um, Mm -hmm. and and social roles outside of work and how they influence work. So I I just think that there's so much work to be done and, and this pandemic has really highlighted Ah, uh, the needs out there. and and actually, also the potential.
0: Yes, absolutely. Elias, maybe I could um, give you the last word on on this uh, particular question. Um, I don't know if you have a perspective or sure. um, thoughts on the pandemic and and what it might mean for the future of of sure. work and workers. Not
1: sure there is uh, too much left to say here, but I could say that the pandemic uh, might be seen as an opportunity. It could be an opportunity for us workers to, let's say, discover potential and what we can do and how we can improve ourselves. It could be an opportunity for the organizations to uh, prioritize their needs, because in, um, in in these difficult times, you're able to understand what are really the, the pressing issues and give priority to these, that sometimes they're overlooked and people usually, and firms stick to specific rules and they overlook some more humane issues, if I may say. And also it's very important to acknowledge others' contributions. It was already mentioned about the uh, importance of uh, precarious workers such as uh, typically uh, art workers that everybody of us was relying for their entertainment during the lockdown. Um, also, the contribution of care workers, of healthcare workers, that some of them, they're uh, low paid. So I think it's, it's a good opportunity to, uh, of course, it's a terrible thing. That, uh, that aside, though, it's, it's a good opportunity to take a step back and really think this through and uh, appreciate the situation we're in. And then that will help us, you know, move back to the right direction for the future.
0: Thank you, um, Elias And thank you to all the panel, Julia, Arnie, and Karen, um, for being involved in this discussion um, today. And uh, thank you uh, for listening to the podcast. Uh, in the next podcast in the Future Work series, uh, we're going to be discussing, developing, training, and supporting uh, the current workforce for the future of work. Hope you can join us.